You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, titled Another Helper, is shared by Grow and Go Pastor Craig Mintz. Amen to that. Thank you, Scott and Choir and Orchestra, for leading us to sing. We've got something to sing about, don't we? Amen. We've got a Savior to sing about. I'd love for you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14 today. We're going to be in several different chapters, but we're beginning in John chapter 14. I received a text from Pastor Dan at the beginning of our first service, and he said that he had preached today already. Of course, in India, I guess he's going to bed, right? Or he's already in bed. Uh, but he's preached this Lord's Day to the students of the India Bible Institute there, and they were encouraged. And uh, know you'll be praying for him as he continues to preach at that conference this week. Many of those brothers, as Pastor Keith mentioned, are from all over the nation of India and surrounding countries, and many of them minister in some very difficult places that are very opposed to the gospel and face uh, unheard of persecution in many cases. And so uh, be praying for those brothers that they receive the encouragement they need as they get ready to go back to hard places. Well, as you're turning to John chapter 14, I want to encourage you to, even though it's the beginning of March, to put on your sandals. Uh, I said in the bridge, if Craig Wells was in here, he already has on his sandals. He wears sandals in the snow. But uh, put on your spiritual sandals. Uh, imagine with me uh, that you are walking 2,000 years ago in Galilee in Jerusalem with the Lord Jesus. Just put yourself into the place of Peter or James or John, or maybe Mary Magdalene or Joanna, the wife of Chusa, one of those women who followed Jesus. Must have been incredible to shake that calloused work hardened hand or to look into his eyes that I like to think maybe they look like Mary's eyes. Uh, to watch him heal a blind man or walk on water to hear him speak words of life and truth with a Galilean accent. It must have been amazing to have walked with Jesus as he walked here on earth. And so you can imagine, if you're one of those disciples, how alarming and saddening and confusing it would be to hear Jesus, your Lord, say, I'm going to leave you. I'm going away. And he said this more than once. He told them that there would be a time to come in which he would go away. He was going to leave them. And that caused sorrow, the scriptures tell us. They were sorrowful in their heart. And they were confused about it. Where are you going, Jesus? When are you going there? A lot of confusion, a lot of sorrow about Jesus' imminent departure. And in the midst of all that, Jesus says something really unexpected, but really wonderful for those men and women, and for you and me too. He says in John 16, 7, you can look at it on the screen there. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus spoke these words after he had just washed their feet there in the upper room. They were celebrating the Passover meal. 
Mere hours later, Jesus would be arrested and the next morning he would be crucified. And as Jesus is speaking final words to his disciples, they're grieving, they're confused, they're sorrowful, they feel adrift, they're not sure what they're gonna do because it's Jesus who's been with them. They've, they've turned their lives over for him. The Bible tells us that they left everything to follow Jesus. And now the one that they left everything for, he's leaving them. He's going to ascend to the Father after his crucifixion and his resurrection. And as bad as that sounds, Jesus says, no, it's actually good. It's actually to your advantage that I go away because unless I go away to the Father, the Father will not send to you in my name the Holy Spirit, the helper who will be in you. And so let's look today in John chapter 14 and let's discover together because it's important. It's important for us to understand why it's a good thing that Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. Why is it good for you and me that we have him instead of Jesus physically walking here among us today? John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says to them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now skip on over to chapter 16. Let's go two chapters over to John chapter 16. Jesus is continuing to teach about the Holy Spirit He's continuing to teach about what it means to abide in him. And then in chapter 16 and verse 7, he picks up again and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would illumine our minds by the power of your Spirit to see and to savor the truth that you have spoken Pray that I would not hinder anything that you want to do today in our midst, but that through the words I speak here, your word, we would come under the movement and the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our midst so that you, Lord Jesus, would be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. A.W. Tozer, an author some of you might be familiar with and have read before, said this in one of his books. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What did he mean by that? Well, I think what 
Tozer meant by that was what we believe about God determines who we are and how we live. And we cannot live rightly if we do not believe rightly about who God is, the one eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I want us to see from Jesus' words today, these final words that he would speak to his disciples before he was arrested, at least seven truths about God, the Holy Spirit. First, the the Holy Spirit is given to every Christian. The Holy Spirit is given to every Christian. No one is excluded. Well, where where do I see this in this passage? If you look at that very first verse we read, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, of course, we know the gospel. It is not through works that we are saved, but it is by grace. But Jesus says here, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. He's describing Christians here. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Who are Christians? It's people who love God. What do people who love God do? They obey Jesus. And so as Jesus says that, we, we see in verse, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, uh, John says there, we love because he first loved us. Why do we love God in the first place? Not because there's anything good in us. Not because we loved God before we knew Jesus is our Savior and Lord. But when we trusted Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we were born again. We were given a new mind, a new heart, a new life. And we received the love of God. He pursued us with his pursuing, initiating love. And when he did, he saved us and we love him. And what it looks like to love Jesus is obedience to his commands. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. This is what it looks like if you're a follower of mine. And I will ask the Father and he will send to you another helper. And later on he says, the world cannot receive him. They don't see him or know him, but you do. It says in another place, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to the church at Corinth, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Y'all, there is no junior varsity Christians. There are no junior varsity Christians. There are no, there's no one on the bench. There's no one who gets to practice but doesn't get to play. Right, Every one of us has received the Holy Spirit, whether you are seven years old and you just trusted in Christ and were just baptized, or you're in your 70s and you've been walking with the Lord for decades, you have the Holy Spirit. When you trusted in him, you were, as the Bible says, baptized with the Spirit. You have received the Spirit in all his fullness. And because you have him in you, you are no less than and no more than anyone else who is in Christ. Every one of us has been given the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to just camp out for just a second, though, on what Paul said, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You hear what he's saying there? I believe he's saying to us in our individualistic culture here in America that's all about us and it's all about me, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we usually think about the benefits that he gives us individually. And certainly there are many of them, and we'll talk about them. Praise God. However, Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit was not given to you just for you. The Holy Spirit, in fact, was given to you 
for everyone else, for the church, for the good of the church and the good of this world. And so if you are not allowing the Spirit through his gifting that he has given you, through his empowerment within you to serve the church, to work for the good of those around you, you're robbing God's church. You are withholding the blessing that God has intended for his church by withholding yourself from showing up and stepping up in the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us, everyone who loves God and obeys him, that's all of us as Christians, we have received the Holy Spirit. By the way, John 7, 37, Jesus says when we are saved, the Holy Spirit is like a river rushing out of us. I like that image. The Holy Spirit is not a faint trickle that we can ignore, but he is like a rushing river that gives us, as Jesus said, the fullness of life, abundant life that changes our life and changes the world around us. Second truth I want us to see is in verse 16. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be with us forever. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever. Some of you know what it means to be abandoned. A spouse has left you. Maybe as a child, a parent walked out of your home and did not come back. Maybe a close friend has abandoned you. Some of us know what it's like to feel abandoned because of the sin and the brokenness of this world. I'm here to reassure you that God will never abandon us. He will never leave us or forsake us. And Jesus is telling his disciples here, you are saddened because I've told you that I'm going away to the Father, but actually this is a good thing because whereas I walked with you, the Holy Spirit will be within you. And as he is within you, he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When you are going through the fiery trial, when you're facing persecution, when you don't know what to do and you're confused and bewildered, when you feel like the heavy load of life is just too much to bear, the Holy Spirit will not be found absent. He will be there with you, helping you and empowering you to live the life that God has called you to live. He's with us forever. Now it is possible if you look at verses like Ephesians 4.30, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it's possible to grieve the Spirit. It's possible to quench the Spirit. In other words, it's possible for us for a period of time to reject His prompting, to, to be stubborn and stiff-necked about allowing Him to guide us and lead us and empower us and enable us to live the life He wants us to live because we've fallen into sin and we refuse to listen to His convicting guidance. It's possible for us to quench Him, but when we quench Him, he will not abandon us. If we are truly in Christ, he will not leave us. He will continue to pursue us. He will continue to convict us. And for those who are truly in Christ, uh, refusing to repent, refusing to listen to the Spirit will not be the final situation spiritually for our lives. We will return to him. We will listen to him. Third truth I want us to see is in verse 17. The Holy Spirit is God within us. He is God within us. 
I'll read that again. Uh, he says, even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit is not going to just come into being or just show up at Pentecost when he comes, but he is here now with you, but he will be in you. See, the Holy Spirit is God. He is eternal. He always has been, he always is, he always will be. We read in Genesis that he was hovering over the waters. We know that it is through the agency of the Holy Spirit that creation was spoken into being. The Holy Spirit has always been. And throughout the Old Testament, he came on particular people at particular times for a particular purpose. Think about David, think about Joshua, think about the judges. God would send the Holy Spirit for a certain period of time to come on an individual to accomplish his will and his purposes. But the prophet Joel in the Old Testament says, there's coming a day when I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter two that the fulfillment of that happened at Pentecost. Jesus had ascended into heaven and he fulfilled the promise that he spoke to the disciples here in today's passage. He ascended to the Father and the Holy Spirit came on every individual who knew and followed Christ and he is living within us. That ought to shake us. It ought to transform us to think that if the temple, think about Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. Think about how glorious and enormous it must have seemed sitting there in Zion, sitting there in Jerusalem on that hill. And think about how the word tells us that not even that temple, nothing created by the hands of men can contain the power and the glory of God. And so if even Solomon's temple could not contain the glory and the power and the presence of God, isn't it amazing that he would look at someone like Craig Mintz or Anita Marion and choose to dwell in us, in this frail flesh that he has created. How tremendous it is to think about this blessing that God has chosen not to just be with us or not just to occasionally visit us when he decides to, but to remain within us, helping us in every way that we need him. By the way, that should convict us not to defile this temple. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Y'all, it matters what we do with our bodies. It matters. And the reason it matters is as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in these bodies. These bodies are his temple, and so we need to be careful about what we do with them. Fourth truth I want us to see from the today's passage is from verse 16. Jesus says, I will send you another helper. I will send you another helper. Wait a minute. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out that that means there must be a second helper. If he's sending another helper, there's more than one helper. What does he mean by that? Jesus is saying, I am your helper right now. I'm the one who is with you, teaching you the truth, showing you the way. Jesus saying, by the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
I'm the one encouraging you. I'm the one helping you right now. But when I send to the Father, I'm going to send another helper. And the word another there, there's two different words for another. He's using the one that means another of the same kind, not another of a different kind. And so when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, we're not getting plan B. We're not getting junior varsity God. We are getting God himself, another helper of the same kind who is helping us just as if Jesus, the helper who was with those first disciples, was with them. The Holy Spirit is also with us. Some of your versions may say comforter. Some of them may say advocate. The word there, parakletos, means one who is called to come alongside. It's like a defense lawyer when you're standing in court and you need a defense, you need help. You cannot stand there alone. You need someone to come alongside you who has the authority and the training and the power to help you in your time of need. That's what the Holy Spirit is. In fact, quite literally, Jesus told them, there's coming a day when you will be kicked out of the synagogue, you'll be tried, and when you're standing in front of people, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Jesus is saying, there's coming a day when you're gonna be on trial for my name, quite literally, and the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper, will be there to help you. You don't have to worry that I'm not physically there with you. We have another helper who has come. Fifth truth I want us to see is the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Verse 17 and other verses tell us this, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. We find in the verses we read today that he teaches all things. He brings to remembrance all things that Jesus said to them. And he bears witness about the embodiment of truth, who is Jesus himself. 1426 and 1526. Jesus is the truth. He spoke the truth. He said, The truth will set you free. And so the Holy Spirit has given us truth. How do we know this? We have the Bible. Second Timothy 3:16 tells us that the scripture is God-breathed, is the Holy Spirit that has inspired men throughout the ages, the prophets of old, and the apostles who followed Jesus to give us the truth. Do you ever what did you ever wonder how in the world John remembered all these words? I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. But Jesus says there that when I send the Holy Spirit, he will remind you of everything I've told you. Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit brought to mind everything that Jesus had done and said throughout his ministry. And he said, not only that, there's some things I want to say to you right now, but you're not ready to hear them. And so the Holy Spirit's going to show you what's to come. And so he would inspire Paul, and he would inspire John, and he would inspire Peter to write those epistles and to write the, the Revelation, the Apocalypse. The, all of the Scripture that we have is truth. It is the truth of God. And the Holy Spirit not only teaches us the truth, helps us to know what is the truth, but he causes us to love it. See, there are people who may know what the truth is. They may know that Jesus is the only way of salvation. They may know the truth of how God has commanded them to live, but they don't love the truth. And it is the Holy Spirit through his sanctifying work that causes us to hate our sin and to love Jesus and to love his word and to want to walk according to his ways. And he's the one who enables us to live in the truth. You see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. He's revealed the truth. Who is Jesus? What has he told us? He causes us to love the truth, and he leads us 
to obey the truth. Sixth truth I want us to see is the Holy Spirit does the work of conviction. You see in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 16 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit does the work of conviction. If you're a Christian, you know this already, don't you? There was a time in your life when someone declared the gospel to you and you became keenly aware of your own sin. You understood what you had done in disobedience to God and you understood the impact of what you had done. You understood that judgment was coming because of your sin and you were convicted about it and you began to be sorrowful about your sin and you began to have a distaste for your sin and you began to love God and you turned away from God and you put your faith in him. You believed that Jesus died and rose again. He washed your sin away. And as you walk with the Lord day by day, the Holy Spirit continues to convict you. When you speak a word or do a thing that dishonors the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit that's convicting you. It's the Holy Spirit reminding you of how he wants you to live. I experienced that in a couple of different ways this week. Um, on Thursday, I had just finished lunch. I had run home for lunch. I only live a few minutes away. And I'd come back to the church and I was neck deep in it. I was feeling the deadlines. I, I had so much to do. And Jessica, had not, my wife had not been home at uh, the time I was home for lunch, but she got home. Uh, about an hour later, and she calls me at the office and she says, Craig, you've got to come home. Uh, our neighbor is moving out and you've got to come tell him about Jesus. And I thought, oh, man. And I try, at first I tried to explain or excuse because I'd met the guy. Uh, we had taken brownies to him and I'd seen him on the road and talked to him on the street in front of our house about, I'd said a few things about the Lord. I'd invited him to church. I'd um, all that, but she was like, you know, he's leaving. You got to come tell him about Jesus. Make sure this man knows how to be saved. And I was like, I gotta, I've already talked to him, Jessica, and I've got so much work here to do. And then the Holy Spirit just came upon me and just convicted me that uh, this is ridiculous. This is a man's soul we're talking about. Uh, Craig Mintz, you can get off your hind end and drive the five minutes uh, back home and walk across the street and tell this man about Jesus. The rest of that stuff can wait till later. And so I did that. I got in my truck and I, I drove over there and as I was driving I just thought this is weird you know he's going to be there getting the stuff out into his truck and I'm just going to walk over out of nowhere and give the man the gospel and so I just began to pray Lord show me what to do help me and Lord bring conviction upon his soul because I know that nothing I say to him if it's charming or winsome or clever is going to convince him. It's just the conviction and the power of your Holy Spirit that's going to bring this man to salvation. And so uh, praise the Lord for the Gideons. I had a Gideon Bible stuck there in my truck and uh, just pulled that thing out. I put a note on it and walked over there and uh, I said, hey, you know, I see you're moving out. Can I help you? And they were almost done. I like to offer help when people are almost finished with things. <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, he said, no, we're almost done. We about got this thing uh, finished. I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, I said, I wanted to give you something before you leave. I handed him the Bible and I said, uh, you know, man, I just, before you leave, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss an opportunity to tell you about Jesus and about who he is and what he did for me. And 
I began to explain to him how Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and how I had received him into my life through faith and he had changed my life and I asked him if he ever had and uh, he claimed that he had and as we began to talk more, I, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't know, it's, that's between him and God, but it, it seemed to me that he probably doesn't know the Lord from some things that he said there later and so I continued to share about the gospel and how it was by grace through faith alone and it's not by works or by membership in a certain church, but it's only through the grace of the Lord and trusting in him and the conversation eventually uh, got shifted and I had to, he had to go, he had to go do some more things. And I told him, you know, put my number on there, call me. I just say all that. He didn't get saved right then and there, but maybe he will one day. I pray that he will. And I want you to know it's only by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that he'll do it. Uh, and when you are praying for lost people in your life, neighbors, friends, and family members, pray for them that the Holy Spirit would bring a work of conviction in their hearts. But would you pray too that he would do a work of conviction in your own? Maybe he's leading you to go talk to somebody about Jesus. Uh, maybe he's leading you to recognize and confess a sin in your life and to be ready to, as Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, plug it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Of course, he wasn't speaking literally here, but he was saying take drastic action. Turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus. Final truth I want us to see today I find in chapter 6, verse 14, and that is the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. I'll read it again, verse 14. He says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me just say, if anyone ever claims that a move of the Spirit is happening in them or someone else and it does not glorify Jesus, Probably not a move of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as He works, He is not working independently of the Father and of the Son. They are working in unison. There's one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit is doing is that He is teaching us what Jesus has said. He is helping us to follow Jesus. He is helping us to cast our spiritual eyes on Jesus and to savor him and to love him and to want to know him more and to glorify him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus. And that's what he'll help us to do as we seek to live our lives. When Jesus was speaking to those original disciples, I want you to put your sandals back on. You might have taken them off. It's cold. Put your sandals back on and go back 2,000 years ago. When he was speaking to those original disciples, he knew that they were going to face many trials and many hardships. He actually told them so. He said, because the world hates me, it will hate you. You'll be kicked out of the synagogue. You'll be put on trial. You'll die for my name's sake. They would proclaim that Jesus had not only died on the cross, but they would proclaim that he had risen from the dead. They would proclaim that it is not Caesar who is Lord, but it is Jesus who is Lord. And because they made these radically world-confronting kind of statements and lived in this radical world-confronting kind of way, they knew that hardship and persecution was coming their way. And on top of that, every person throughout history, every Christian faces hardship, sorrow, heartbreak, sickness, confusion, broken relationships. 
And sometimes we might even be tempted to say to ourselves, boy, sure would be nice to have Jesus here right about now, just sitting in that chair right now, just so that I could talk to him, just so that I could wrap my arms around him, have him wrap his arms around me, just so that I could know what to do. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, it's actually to your advantage that I go away because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit who's going to live within you. What is the Holy Spirit living, doing within you today? How is he working in you today? Will you submit to him? Will you surrender to the Lord? Will you allow yourself to be filled with the Spirit? You see, to be filled with the Spirit does not mean we get more of the Spirit. It means the Spirit gets more of us. When we, were, when we became Christians, we were baptized with the Holy Spirit. We received him. But the Bible says, Paul said, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, be continually surrendering yourself to God and allowing him to have sway and control over you. In a few moments, Brother Scott's gonna lead us in singing, have thine own way, Lord. And you know, that's a Holy Spirit prayer. That's a prayer that says, Lord, I believe in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Listen, when you say, have your, holy way, have your way in me, Holy Spirit, that's a dangerous thing to say because you can't control him. Jesus said in John chapter three to Nicodemus, he's like the wind. We don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it's going to. Listen, y'all, I lived in New Orleans for four years. I ran from two different hurricanes. There is no military might. There is no scientific genius. There is no government plan that can keep a hurricane from doing what a hurricane's gonna do. And when the wind of that hurricane blows, it's gonna blow and we're not gonna stop it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When he moves in our lives, it is beyond our control. It is beyond our power. It transforms us. He guides us. He empowers us. And our lives are radically transformed and the lives of those around us are because the Holy Spirit is not a trickle. He is a mighty roaring river rushing in us and out of us, changing us, moving among us and leading us to do things that may make us uncomfortable, but they will glorify Jesus and we can only do them in his power, the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word that you have given us under the inspiration of the Spirit. We ask you to move here today, move in our hearts. We need you. We need to surrender to you, Lord, because we don't want to be in control anymore. We know what happens when we're in control. It's a disaster. But when we surrender to you and you fill us, it glorifies Jesus. Help us to see how to respond to this word today, Lord. What do you want us to do? Have your own way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.